Please be seated. Well, it's my blessing to introduce to you today uh, the Reverend Canon Timothy Nunez, except to Sam and Abby, who already know him as dad. And <laughs> so, uh, glad to have you with us. Sorry, I embarrassed you. <laughs> um, uh, Timothy um, is the canon to the ordinary, which means that he's the bishop's canon. We learned a little bit about that in our, uh, forma- in our Christian formation forum. He was previously the rector at uh, St. Mary's Bellevue, and uh, canon Tim and I go back a ways, uh, at least seven years, probably longer than that, but um, it's really been a blessing to have him here. I was going to be gone this weekend, and then there were so many things going on that I ended not, and I kind of led him off the hook, and he said, no, I'm really looking forward to coming and being with you. So, And it turned out a wonderful weekend for him to be with us and really blessed me here. So it's a word of prayer, Tim. Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for your hand on his life, for the call that you have had on him and that which he has shared with us. Lord, I pray your blessings on him and on us as he opens up your word to us today. And it's the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, and before I begin my sermon, I, I want to... Uh, counter what, what Sarah said, or answer what Sarah said, in that uh, I was blessed to be on the Commission on Ministry when she was coming up through the process. I was the chair of that commission, and uh, I feel like we really got a pearl with this one. Uh, and, and she is one of my most reliable colleagues, both in terms of, of counsel and in, in working on things together. Uh, but particularly also in her, her pastoral sensibilities. Uh, when our oldest son was in Iraq uh, for two tours uh, as a cavalry scout in the U.S. Army, uh, it was a very hard time for my wife and me. And uh, Sarah, you, w- you would assume that the clergy were all really pastoral. Well, not all. And, and Sarah was particularly so, and, and I've always uh, given thanks for her. Speak in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, uh, not long ago, I was having a conversation with a young man in his 20s. And we were, for some reason, talking about records. And I mean vinyl records. And I was telling him the story of how uh, my wife uh, required that I let them go in a garage sale some years ago. Uh, it was against my will, but uh, she pointed out that we didn't even have a record player anymore. Uh, why was I hanging on to these things? I'm very nostalgic that way. And, uh, and so I was uh, talking to this, this young man, and I, I assumed that he probably would not have never seen that even. But he said, no, his parents had, uh, had had records when he was growing up. They had kept their turntable, and so he'd listened to James Taylor and America and all these bands in the 70s that I kind of grew up with. And then he, then he hit me with a real cheap shot. Cheap shot. He said, I bet you had an afro. And I said, well, yeah, actually I did. And uh, as it turned out, not long ago, one of my uh, fraternity brothers had posted a bunch of of those old pictures from those days. And and I had saved a few of them on my phone, so I was able to show him the actual afro. But I felt like it was a little disturbing because it immediately took me back to those days. And I had to confess I not only had the afro, 
It's about out to here. I had platform shoes. I had polyester pants. And as someone in the congregation last night asked, I bet they were bell-bottoms. Yes, they were. Sky blue polyester bell-bottoms and a big white belt, thick white belt, and then a uh, plunging neckline shirt with a, an embarrassingly bad print on it to, to kind of complete the look. And, um, and the thing of it is that it also took me back to the ways that I felt back in that time. You know, I, I'm convinced that no one in the 1970s looked good with the possible exception of Cheryl Teagues and, and Farrah Fawcett and maybe Elvis. But, but, um, but the truth is that, that those years were, for me, my teenage years. And I well remember how I was as a teenager, feeling so awkward and uncomfortable and, and out of place and uncertain of myself, insecure in so many ways, you know, desperately hoping that, that someday I would work up the courage to talk to a girl and, and she might even go out with me. You know, all those sorts of things came crashing back in just a moment. And, of course, that thankfully for most of us, uh, those sorts of, of uh, teenage angst feelings do work themselves out over time as we mature. But for me, to be perfectly honest about it, uh, there was another element that, that really aided in that for me, and that is that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in my teenage years. And I quickly developed this very strong, heartfelt desire to see Jesus. Now, I don't mean, in this case, seeing Him in the metaphorical sense that we might say it, that we see it in, in each other, or you know, that, that we might see Him in, in serving uh, the, those in the most marginalized in our society. That's certainly true, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I want to see Him as I'm seeing you right now. Like, physically. And when I... Hope and now, if that happened today, I'd be fine. Uh, but certainly, if he came walking through the door, wouldn't that be great? But when I lie down to die, when I want to really see Jesus, and I'll confess that that is rooted in an abject fear of death. Otherwise. In other words, if, if I were to contemplate death as simply the end of me, that's a thought too terrible to bear. And so when I was, as a teenager, learning that, that there is a God in heaven who created and loves us, that He sent His Son into the world for us, and that we can have eternal life with Him through His Son, through that relationship with the Son... I was all for it, and so I welcomed Jesus into my heart. And I am here to testify that I have found that relationship to be alive and to be real and to be as important to me and as certain to me as the relationship I have with my son. In other words, if Sam hadn't been here a few times, which he has, I would tell you about my son. You might believe that I had a son, but you wouldn't know him until you actually met him. Well, I know Jesus that way. And I can testify to the things He's done in me and in my life and that I've witnessed what He's done in other people's lives. But it always comes back to me, for me, to that, that desire 
to see Jesus. I want to see Him so badly. And it's that desire that we hear at the beginning of today's Gospel. That's some Greeks. And when we say Greeks here, uh, it's very likely, almost certainly, referring to Greek-speaking Jews who have come from some distance away from Jerusalem, perhaps even out away from Palestine, uh, that they, they want to come uh, come into Jerusalem for the Passover feast on a pilgrimage, and they've heard some hubbub about Jesus. Today's Gospel actually falls uh, in, in what we now celebrate as Holy Week. He has made His triumphal entry. And there's been some commotion about that, so we don't know why these people want to see Him. Is it because He's got some rock star sort of status in this moment? Because of that buzz, you know, cultural buzz. We understand that today, right? Or maybe there were some pressing needs for healing or some other miracle that that they were looking for. We don't know. In fact, I'm not even sure that the response that Jesus gives is a response to them. But in any case, their request to see Him triggers this response and it's not the answer that you would expect. He doesn't say, we'll put them down for 11 o'clock on Tuesday. Or, yeah, bring them in and we'll talk now or I'll see them later. Nothing like that. He says, now will the Son of Man be glorified. Now, John, his gospel is a little different from what we call the synoptic gospels. And as I understand it, I, I think that difference lies in this, that the those other Gospels are a little bit older. They've been circulating for some time, as have the verbal expressions of the Gospel by all the apostles going out and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ has been circulating for some time. And John, being aware of all these things, thought, well, you know, there's, there's more that needs to be said. And so he fills in gaps. He tells stories that are not in the other three Gospels, and this is one of them. And why would John think this scene so important to be communicated to the early church. Well, because he says at the end of his gospel, all the things about Jesus would take up more, you know, more books than the world could hold. But this story he includes. Well, Jesus in John's gospel, John quotes Jesus three times, three other times in his gospel about being glorified. The first is at the wedding in Cana, which, is, you'll recall, is the start of his public ministry. And he's gone to this wedding, and the, the wine starts running short, and his mom gives him the elbow and the rib saying, do something about this. And he says, no, it's not my time. She says, son, do something about this. And he says, okay. Uh, and then he says, now will the Son of Man be glorified. And changing the water into wine. He'll say it again shortly after this scene, when he gets to the Last Supper and it comes time for Judas to exit the Last Supper to go and betray Jesus, now will the Son of Man be glorified. And then he mentions it again during the high priestly prayer later that evening. And in all of these contexts, we know that this is happening in the shadow of the cross. He's going to be glorified not by ascending to some throne immediately, but by going through this way of the cross. 
knowing what's going to happen to him with the trial and, 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 the, way, and the way of the cross, what we call the stations of the cross, all the way to his death and ultimately his resurrection. And then Jesus gives us the terms, the terms that we should have and we must have if we're going to see Jesus. Now, we know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, but these are more the terms of what that relationship means. And the first one that he mentions has to do with our identity. Now, identity is such a big issue in our culture. I mean, when you think about all the, that happens on television and in magazines, in every walk of life, that there's so much we're bombarded constantly with issues about our identity. And it's as though the, 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 the advertisers are saying, create your own universe with you at the center of it. That is the, what we are told continuously by our culture. Everything is going to be, you know, MasterCard, it's everywhere you want to be. The army will say, be all you can be. And, you know, Burger King, have it your way. That's, that's been around for a long time. And, and, and really, we have been conditioned now that we're going to take everything on an a la carte basis. I mean, those of us who are older, you remember what it was like to go out to eat 40, 50 years ago? You go and you ordered a hamburger, you got a hamburger. You ordered a sandwich, the question was, do you want roast beef, turkey, or ham? Mustard or mayo? Now you walk into a subway, and if you got four orders, God help you if you don't have it written down. Right? Because everybody's got to have it just exactly the way they want it. And, and we're being conditioned then to, to treat everything that way, including our faith. As though uh, the, the pantheon of, of spiritual possibilities are out there, and you just pick what you want off of that smorgasbord. But hear the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who says that if a grain of wheat doesn't go into the earth and die, then it remains just a seed. And, but if it does die, then it can grow into the plant that it was ever intended to be. That is an issue of identity. Its identity as a seed is very limited. It's going to end. But if it will go into the earth and die, then it will come up the plant that it was intended to be. Now, of course, we know a lot more about that, uh, you know, with the science of, of genetics and DNA and so forth as to how that process actually works, but it still remains true. A seed's just a seed. Planted, it becomes the plant, right? Well, the same thing is true about this issue of our identity. I mean, honestly, if we don't submit our identity, all that we are, to his identity, then it's effectively like, as if, imagine if there was supposed to be a brightly colored window and all there was was some painted wood taking its place. Can you imagine that? 
And except for a slight mistake there on the side, it, it's completely blocking out the light. That identity has to die for that window to be what it's supposed to be. Sarah will tell the tale shortly. But you know that when the actual window gets there, the light's going to shine through and it's going to bear beautiful light and grace and peace and inspiration into the heart of this church. God be praised for that. That's the sort of thing that we have to do in submitting our identity. Because the thing about our identity is it is critically and irrevocably flawed. Consider for a moment what we would refer to as the the seven deadly sins and how natural they are for us. When we are biologically wired for survival and with that come a very natural tendency towards lust, towards greed, towards gluttony, and I'm, I'm reminded of uh, C.S. Lewis um, in talking about, uh, and this is, you know, 60 years ago, talking about the, the uh, kind of fascination in our culture with sex. He said, imagine if you were in a darkened theater. And he's talking about, uh, and he said, and, and, and there was the curtain, and then when the curtain opened up, there was, on a big platter, was a huge, juicy steak, and the people just started to rant and rave and cheer for that. And I thought, well, how different is that from the Food Network? Right? Because gluttony is not just eating too much. It could, you know, it could be the other. You know, any, anything. And, 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 you know, as we were praying the Decalogue, the last one, thou shalt not covet. Are we not wired to covet? In every sin that's out there, we come by it very naturally. And, and, and so, so that, that sinful nature... We have to give it over to the Lord. It has to die in order for us to be the people that God's calling us to be. That is a core issue of our identity. You know, I'm, uh, people know about me. They know I'm a gator. That's an issue of my identity. I'm not going to ever stop being a gator, but that's got to be very secondary to my identity as a beloved child of God. Now, I want to hold that up for you. Uh, I saw you had daughter, daughter, both daughters, or, yeah. And, and the girls, they were, I think they were all girls that headed out for children's church this morning. But for all kids, but I think girls in particular, because I've got three boys and a girl, uh, that issue of identity is so vitally important to them in that very awkward teenage stage. They are driven to the selfie. They always... I mean, if you have any teenage girls on Facebook, they selfie after selfie after selfie because they're trying to craft their identity. And what I would hope and pray, and thank God they're here and heading into children's chapel, that, that over time they'll come to that moment where, where they, they understand themselves first and foremost as a beloved child of God who is saved through the, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus their Lord. That's what we're after here with the kids. And, and that's critical and vital to that issue of being able to see Jesus and to be with Him forever. And the second 
peace that Jesus gives us in this passage has to do with service. Jesus says that those who follow after Him, those who serve Him, will do as He does. And they'll go where He goes. Now, for Jesus, this is a very pressing issue because He's literally hours away from going to the cross. And as we know, that's a very hard road for Him to take. Not just being on the cross, but everything that leads up to it. And He knows that's His Father's will. And He will not stray from it. He's troubled because He knows where it's going, but He will not stray from it. Now, most of us will not be called to anything similar to that. And in fact, being in the United States of America, we are blessed to be in a place where we have the freedom to gather and, and worship and, and proclaim the Lord. But you know, millions of Christians today are under threat of life and torture. Think about this new threat of ISIS and the longer-term threat of Al-Qaeda and, and other pressures that are out there literally threatening. You know, more there have been more martyrs to Christianity in the last hundred years than in the previous 1900. That's a fact. Now, most of us don't face that. But what we do face is the continual pressure of our mortal lives of being secure and uh, enjoying this life and having things set up in a way that we're comfortable. And that can continuously distract us from listening to the Lord and following the path that He would have us take. And that is a core issue. You want to see Jesus? Well, you've, you've got to die to self. You've got to take up your cross and follow Him. And what that means is for every one of us is that we have a call. And it's different for every one of us, but what we have to do is in our prayer lives, don't just go to the Lord with your laundry list of, of concerns and worries and issues that are going on with you and your family and friends. and you know We, we all have our prayer list. That's vitally important to do that intercessory prayer. But it's not a one-way conversation. Build time into your prayer life to listen to the Lord. To have Him guide you in the path that He would have you walk. And I guarantee you that if you will do that, He will answer you. And you can take that answer bring it into the life of the church, share it with people you know and trust in the faith, and have them help you affirm it, shape it, and carry it forward. That's how most ministries get going. Because the Lord puts that call on your heart and you develop a passion for answering Him. So those are the, the, the two real issues. You have 
that identity in Christ and that you submit your will to His will. Now that's the core of what it means to see Jesus and what He wants and expects from us. And as I was preparing for this, you know, I, I, it, it carries me back first to the collect for today. I want to share that again with you. Because this is something, I, the way I've said it, it sounds like this is all on you, but it's not. We prayed this morning, Almighty God, You alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Don't expect that you can do this yourself. God, whatever your issues may be, don't ever think that God won't work with you to overcome them. I was very blessed early in my ministry to have as a retired associate for about five years uh, the Reverend Al Durrance, who was rector here many years ago. And one of the great pearls of wisdom that Al gave me was that not to let the enemy lie to you and tell you that you'll never overcome this. The Lord will see you through. So we pray, Almighty God, to bring our unruly wills and affections into His order. To die to self. And then to grant us to love what He commands and to desire what He promises. So that among the varied changes, of the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may be surely fixed where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we lay these things at the Lord's feet and trust Him to handle them in His time. I'm sure there are many of you here that have already done so. I've seen enough crosses from the order of St. Luke to know that this is carrying on here. It's happened to me uh, my first time here at Good Shepherd was what we call the conference for ministry where uh, they invite you to come and hear talks about the priesthood and the diaconate to, to try to discern if, if you should be going down this path. And it was here that that clarity came for me to answer this call in, into ordained ministry. I was a CPA. I had just made partner in the firm. And my life, we were in the, our dream house. Life was set. And the Lord said, time to go. And so we came. But it also put me in mind of a, a favorite old song. And I need your help because I can't sing. But I'm going to. And so for your sake and for mine, please sing along. And I, I gather Sarah has... Uh, coerce the choir into supporting this as well.
I hope and pray that as we approach Holy Week and go through the remembrances of those mighty acts that our Lord accomplished for us on His way to the cross, His death on the cross, His resurrection, and ultimately His ascension, that you will encounter Him. That you will see Him in the eyes of the people with which you share a common life in Him and those you serve. And that you will hear Him in your prayers. Amen.